Welcome to the She Wore Black podcast. I'm Agatha Andrews. Today is my first crossover podcast with podcaster and author Sarah Wendell from Smart Bitches Trashy Books. I've listened to her romance podcast for years, so I am thrilled to have this podcasting icon on my show. We talk about podcasting, deep dive into genre and the metaphorical meaning of various tropes, and she has some spooky romance wrecks. I will link to the books and show notes using my online bookshop if you want to support the show as well as independent bookstores nationwide. That's at bookshop.org slash shop slash she wore black. You can also help out the show by following She Wore Black on Twitter and Instagram and leaving us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for joining us today. Now, on to the show. All right, Sarah. Well, I... I'm so excited to have you on today. I've been listening to you for quite some time, but I don't know if all of my listeners know who you are. So why don't you give us a little introduction to yourself and your website that is a miraculous uh, creation and your show. (laughs) Well, thank you. Uh, I'm Sarah Wendell. I'm the co-founder of Smart Bitches Trashy Books, which is one of the longest running blogs devoted to romance fiction. Began in 2005, which I think is like the Mesozoic era of the internet. Um, (laughs) After GeoCities, but before a lot of things like social media. Yeah. A reference I didn't expect to hear. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Remember GeoCities? Um, I am also the host of Smart Podcast Trashy Books, which I started in 2008. So again, long ass time. I'm the co-host of Love Struck Daily, which is a daily iHeart podcast from iHeartRadio. And I basically built my job of connecting romance readers to each other and with the books that they want to read. I'm glad that you gave the distinction too, because I always just default to smart bitches, trashy books, as far as the title goes, but you're right. But you're right. When people are looking for your podcasts, they're going to be needing to look for smart podcast, trashy books, right? Yes. This is all Apple's fault. Oh, I see. How rude. Because originally (laughs) it was uh, dear bitches, smart authors, because it was a dual podcast between me and dear author. And then uh, Apple got mad at the word bitches in the title of the podcast oh, okay. and back then yeah i know uh, oh the i'm like have you seen your music catalog a little bit oh, yeah right <laughs> so we had to change the name really really quickly and then i took over the podcast as a solo enterprise and just kept smart podcast trashy books but the absence of the word bitches in the podcast title is because of apple i would have kept it but you know apple was determined to be a pain in the ass yeah, it's almost like tipper gore made that decision i know right <laughs> like wow okay Well, I love, I mean, one of the things I'm excited about, um, as having you on the show is, you know, being a female podcaster, I'm excited to have an OG podcaster here. And I, you know, I've been listening to you for ages. I went looking for you and I don't remember which one was first, but I know it was either outlander. I was looking for outlander content, or I believe actually the first time I found you was when you did your pull dark episode called pull dark gets dark. Yes. Um, I remember, you know, kind of figuring out, I was like, Oh, she's like Terry gross, but it's a sexy show. And I'm going <laughs> to love this. <laughs> yep. Because most podcasts, you know, at that time, even, which wasn't even that long ago when that episode came out, I mean, a few years, um, were like a lot of what I was listening to was either an NPR podcast, or you found a lot of bros talking to bros, 
you know, you know that the 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 plural of of white guys is podcast. <laughs> it's a very old joke. A group of white guys is called a podcast. Oh my gosh, accurate though, isn't it? Very, very <laughs> accurate. Very. There's a there's a lack of women. There's a lack of people of color. There's a lack of women of color. There's a lack of queer voices. There are more and more and more because the, as the barrier to entry goes down the better it is, but then you have to find what it is that you're looking for. And that could be a real challenge. No one's solved that algorithm yet. I'm kind of dreading it when they do. So let's go back to your origin story, because I, like I said, there was, there was definitely, I mean, now there's romance podcasts all over the place, but yeah. you're still, cause you were the OG, you're still like a, a go-to for people. Right. But let's talk about your origin story. I think like, wow, the idea of starting a romance podcast, whenever it was like bro heavy, how, how did that work? Well, I have a very healthy dose of who's going to stop me. <laughs> very nice. Which is helpful when you're yeah. doing things and you're doing things that are very weird and, and hard to explain. Um, I absolutely love calling the bank because the site is run by a, an LLC called Smart Bitches Trashy Books LLC. And I get to call the bank and they're like, could you confirm the <laughs> business thing? And then I do. And then there's this long silence. Oh, yeah, it's so good times. So I have a very healthy dose of, well, who's going to stop me? And I always wanted to have my own radio show. I was obsessed with radio. I thought radio was the coolest technology. I really wanted to be involved somehow in radio. And that's not how my life worked out. And then I thought, wait a minute, there's these podcasts. I could start a podcast. I bet I could do it. And our first few episodes were edited by another person. Um, whose name is Morgan, and they used to work for the Romantic Times magazine back when Romantic <gasps> Times was an actual publication. Oh, I kind of missed that. Yeah. And she had a lot of experience in digital technology and digital communications. And she was like, we'll just do a block reporting. We'll, I'll edit them. And then, you know, we'll pick some open source music. And then I didn't want to impose on her time again. She didn't get paid for that. She did that for free for us. So, I mean, I think I brought like a French toast casserole. Like that was the, that was the thing. It was a good casserole, but that's not how I wanted to roll. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to figure this out. So there's a little gap. The first couple of episodes are 2008. And then I think in late 2010, I started doing it because I borrowed podcasting for dummies from the library. As a librarian, I love that. <laughs> I'm like, this is, this is going to break it down in the most obvious, easy language. And this was before there were a lot of podcasting hosting companies that made it super simple. Yeah. This was before you would like upload an episode. Here's where you put the title. Here's where you put the description. Like I had to figure all of this out and I really liked doing it and I kept on going. And my general theory with all things is that I, there's no way that I'm the only person curious about this. There's no way that I'm the only person who's like, wait a minute, I want to learn more about this. And like I said, healthy dose of who's going to stop me? I'll just email anybody be like, hey, you want to come on my show and talk about this? Like, I'm curious about this. Could you tell me more? And the longer I did the show, the more I like how the podcast works as a conversational medium. Because like, like I've said many times, podcasting is deeply intimate. Deep voice is deeply intimate, especially when you think about how you listen to podcasts often it's in your ears. It's just one voice or a few voices in your ears. That is a deeply intimate thing. And I think Caitlin Schiller from the podcast Connected to Blinkist said that one of the reasons why podcasting seems to have taken off is because we're giving 
permission to eavesdrop on other people's conversations. Yes. And sometimes eavesdropping on other people's conversations is fabulous, especially when you're, you know, going through a period of time when you might be isolating in your house for a year. Right, there's right. A, there's an enormous community and, and conversation that happens with podcasting. And I really, really like it. Like, I really enjoy it. It does create a sense of community. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you're certainly never the only person who loves a thing. Like, that's just not possible. Well, and you had asked me, because I was also on your show. I know. Um, (laughs) You had asked me about, like, why why did I choose this? And like I said, there were other female uh, horror podcasts, but, you know, my specific, like, I lean hard into Gothic and I'm... Know, a Latina. So I just felt like there was a new voice. I think too, too often people feel like, well, there's already something, but everybody yeah. brings something new to the table. Absolutely. There's room for everybody. Yes. And when I, when I do uh, like pitching, someone pitches me as a guest, most often, Hey, I wrote a book is a very short conversation. There's only so many questions you can ask about the creation of a book, but the thing where you get into the side passions and the parallel passions of that writer, all of that finds your way, finds its way into their creative work, right? Everything that you're interested in is going to find its way into the creation that you make, mm-hmm. whatever that is. I love hearing people nerd out about <laughs> stuff. I don't care if I have no knowledge yeah. of this whatsoever. One of my absolute favorite interviews that I've ever done was with an author named Rose Lerner who loves WWE wrestling. <laughs> I remember this one. And I was I like, do. Okay, okay. She's like, I love it. And I'm like, all right, I need to know why, why, yeah. what is it? And she's like, well, this is how they construct a narrative. And then this is how they take a character from being a heel to a hero or from a hero oh, yes, into a heel. That. And it was all about redemption narratives and how you create a narrative slowly around really muscular men in very small pants. What a smart take. And I was like, I just, I cannot stop thinking about this. This is fascinating. And I and I genuinely believe that people are very, very interesting when given space to be their authentic selves. And I love that part of podcasting. Do you, you're Gen X, so you're probably going to remember. Quite. The movie that I'm going to ask you about. Do you remember Pump Up the Volume? I knew that was where you were going. No, no idea how formative that, that whole movie was. Hey. I love that movie. I I love the idea that there's all these kids on a hill yes. turning into a pirate radio station run by Christian Slater. Oh my gosh, that was just so impactful to me. Okay, so I'm an only child. Oh dear. And my parents, because we're Gen X, my parents worked all day. My mom also went to college while she yeah. was going to like working. So I was alone all the time as we were in Gen X years. Yes, we were. And I had no brothers or sisters. So we have an embarrassing number of cassette tapes where I'm recording myself into the cassette tapes. I love this so much. Doing fake shows. So I'm so (laughs) much. Please digitize these and put them on a podcast. With my little eight and nine-year-old voice, you know, I mean, probably not that young. I was like, I was probably nine and 10 and 11 because I was staying by myself at this point. Oh Um, my God. I want to hear all of this. This is amazing. I made a soap opera called As the Stomach Turns. No. (laughs) And I would make up a soap opera escapades about my classmates. You have not released this as a podcast. 
absolutely not. Take all those cassettes to Costco (laughs) and say, please digitize these for me and they will turn them into MP3s. And then this is an amazing archive of Gen X childhood. That's incredible. I love it so much. Oh my gosh. Well, so when Pump Up the Volume came out. Oh my God. I've been like, they saw me. Yes. I was like, I feel so seen. I want one of these. Like, uh, you know, I I just felt like I was like, this is the next level of what I used to do. Right? And then podcasting just sort of made it possible for anyone to do it. Yep. Yep. You don't have to be a really attractive white guy in the basement <laughs> like Christian Slater. Oh, and was that Samantha Mathis? Which that was Samantha Mathis. Yes. Yes. Like goth goddess. You know, I love, I love that movie. So much. Although in I my head canon, they don't get caught. Yeah. Right. And it, for me, my husband and I graduated from high school in the same year. We were in the same senior class. And because of that, we have a lot of shared history, both in our relationship, but in times where we experienced the same thing at the same time. And so we are constantly telling our kids how very, very different our teenage years were and how different high school was for us. And they're just like, wow. Back in the 1900s, stuff was weird. I'm like, yeah, kids, it was. <laughs> Back in the 1900s. Please don't say yourself. Kids, it's killing me. <laughs> you wandered around neighborhoods, you know. Yeah. yeah, you went out and then the streetlights came on and that was your signal to book your ass back home. Oh, yeah. man. Was it Streetlights are on. Head out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, oh, that was a fun walk down memory lane. Thank you so much for that. Oh, um, thank you. <laughs> Well, what would you say about podcasting now versus then? Ooh. I mean, I feel like I definitely see more women. I definitely see more women. And I definitely, so one thing I didn't do is create seasons. I just keep going and going and going and going. And I'm like, wow, that's really smart. You take a break. That's really clever. Wish I thought of that. You know, it's funny you say that because I've started with seasons going, I'm going to force a break. Mm -hmm. at a certain point. And what I may do is force the break and then just do what you do. And like, I'm going to stop with season numbers and just do like regular numbers, but still force the break. So (laughs) do it however you want. There's the, the, the interesting thing about, I think about podcasting is that there's a period of time when a lot of people could try it. And it was very, it was very decentralized. Like there was no single way to do it. And now there's guides and ideas and lots of hosts. And there's, and I mean like hosts in the way of like a server hosting the file. And then there's the people who are actually doing the podcasting. But I, I am still constantly surprised and delighted by people who look at the podcasting medium and think, oh, I have an idea of what to do with that. That's different. Yeah. Like, I yeah. think that is so friggin' cool. So cool. Well, you know, going back to, yeah, like everybody has a voice. Everybody has something new to bring to the table. Yeah. Um, But going back to the thing with seasons, I feel like when you listen to like Faded Mates or Malcolm Gladwell has revisionist history, Mm -hmm. when they do seasons, they tend to have themes. And I think that makes sense. And I'm not doing themes. So what the hell am I doing? I'm just going to do numbers. (laughs) I'm switching. I can't, like you had said, what, who's going to stop me? Who's going to stop you? (laughs) Really? And I mean, ask yourself that at, at major like points of, of contention, like when you're scared to do something, like when I'm really scared to try something new and like, what's the worst that happens and right, who's going right. to stop me? Go for it. Even who knows? Could be awesome. Well, speaking of who's going to stop me, uh, merging of genres has been going on. Horror romance. Yeah. Yeah. Horror romance is all the rage over here. And I'm hoping that our genres can talk to each other. Oh, that would be um, pretty great. 
I know. I feel like I, it was so exciting for me to do the erotic horror episode because I do straddle both worlds. And sure. I feel like when people are talking about these things on the horror side, they have an inherent love of of romance or erotica that they're putting into horror, but maybe they're not part of that world. And mm-hmm. I feel like we would both as genre fans, like genre on both sides would gain so much by talking to each other more. So I'm hoping, and that's one of the things I hope to do with this podcast, but what I'm hoping you can help me with Sarah is to kind of speak to the evolution of spooky romance, which there's plenty. And I know like Grady Hendrix, who's one of the biggest names in horror right now has talked about like the seventies and eighties, uh, Gothic romance. And I, so I want to kind of start there and then talk about, I don't, while I'm ta- saying that, uh, if you could talk about what you know about the evolution, I'm going to hold up my copy of Beyond. Oh, hey, it's the Bookworms. Hello, book. It's so nice yes. to see you. Sarah Hello. wrote a book called Beyond Heaving Bosoms, The Smart Bitch's Guide to Romance Novels. And it's oh. it's just like an amazing reference book. Um, book. So, it came out in like 2009. Yeah, yeah. But it's, it, so you know. <laughs> I bought that like right when I discovered your show. So I've had that for a while. Oh my goodness. Thank you. That yeah. makes <laughs> well, so, you know, now because you have a book I, and a podcast, I'm going to, I'm like, Sarah's going to know. So, oh. so hit me, Sarah, what do you know about like the evolution of spooky romance? Okay. So greatest, first of all, I am as full of it as anybody. Awesome. So (laughs) I am absolutely not the singular authority. No one person is the singular authority on anything, certainly not a book. And as a book reviewer, I have to tell people that constantly, like, uh, just because I didn't like something doesn't mean that's it. Like, oh, Sarah didn't like it. Like, who cares what Sarah thought, for God's sake. So grain of salt, here is my perspective. Um, I think one of the things that genres, okay, so when I say genre fiction or genre, I'm talking about, you know, romance, horror, gothic mystery, fantasy, science fiction, all of those major genre fiction. The thing that literary fiction tries to pretend that it's not, but it's also a genre. Oh, tell me about it. Sorry, literary fiction. I'm not sorry. No, sorry, guys. (laughs) But genres have a structure and they are a place to put emotions. Mm-hmm. And when you enter a specific genre of fiction, you have expectations about what's going to happen. And a lot of what happens when people don't like a book is that it didn't meet their expectations in some very specific way. And the more you read and study a specific genre, the more you realize that genre is doing something. Yes. And, and there's a, I have a theory that there are, for whatever reason, there are an absolutely astonishing number of former attorneys and current attorneys writing romance and other forms of genre fiction. And my theory is that when you go to law school, you learn a specific language and style of communicating. And when you practice law, depending on where you practice, Mm -hmm. there is a structure you must follow. So if you're filing a brief, your brief has to have these specific elements in this format and this part is here and this part is here. But inside that brief, you can make whatever wackadoodle crazy argument you want. You can go way out there off the chain, off the coast, way out into the water. You can do whatever you want. Your argument inside the frame. And so the genre is the frame. And for me, I think genres present a place to put your emotions Mm -hmm. in a way that is helpful. So romance is traffic and empathy. Mm -hmm. Romance is a place to put your empathy arousal, feelings of attraction and love. Like it's kind of amazing that there's a whole set of books that are trying to turn you on. Oh yeah. That's kind of rad. 
it's super rad. And for romance, a lot of romance readers tell me that they read romance because it soothes and gives them a place for their anxiety because they they know that they can trust that the ending yes. will be happy. And a lot of people, oh, if you know the ending, why read the book? Because that's that's what I want. Like, this is why I don't really find myself completely skilled at watching television unless I know the ending has been placed. Right. Well, and I've said this too with, with certain suspense novels. Like if I'm uncertain that it will resolve, I'll read the end first and then oh, I'll sure. go back and, and see how they got there because the journey is fun and I make no apologies. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, this a, is um, me to consume how I want. Yeah, yeah. There's an Australian book podcast called the book thingo podcast hosted by Kat Mayo. And the whole like jingle entry song is about killing fairies because when you read the end of a book, you kill a fairy. And oh she's my like, gosh. Un unrepentant fairy kill unrepentant fairy killer and her whole theme song for her blog is about killing fairies because she always reads the end i'm like of course you read the end when i'm watching television with my family my younger son will text me and be like mom did you look at the end i'm like oh yeah here's what happened okay thanks I'm like i get but it that goes you back know to where you're going right and there how many of us reread faves you know and oh, it's God. for the same reading one now which one Murderbot. Oh, the Murderbot, the Murderbot series by Martha Wells, which is science fiction, not romance. So Murderbot is a robot um, human construct made with organic and inorganic material, but is a sec unit. And Murderbot has no gender. And as a sec unit is controlled by the company where they are, it is sent out onto security assignments where it is supposed to protect humans. And if it does the wrong thing or tries to display any autonomy, it is punished by the governor module. So Murderbot figures out how to hack its governor module mm -hmm. and the, and <laughs> realizes, wait a minute, I've hacked my governor module and I have unimpeded access to the entertainment feed of books, movies, audiobooks, serials, <laughs> all the entertainment it could possibly want. And so rather than become a terrifying killing machine, which is what everyone expects a rogue sec unit to be... Murderbot just wants to watch TV and be left alone by the humans. It is the most Gen X character. Yeah, it's me. You'll ever <laughs> read. It, Murderbot is amazing. We're going to have to I link to that. I could reread it a million times. I'm rereading it now because it is just such a comfortable place to be. Well, people can quote Star Wars. They can quote, you know, any number of movies. Reading, re re revisiting a book is the same idea. Yeah. So, um, and it's, and so you were talking about that in the context of like, okay, so how do we get to spooky romance? Like, okay. how, what is spooky so, romance looked like over the, the decades? Okay. So going back to the idea that genre fiction is a safe place to put your emotions. So like, for example, mystery could be a space of fear, curiosity, and anticipation, knowing that order is going to be restored in the end. You're going to find out who did the terrible thing. Horror, I think, is in part a safe place to fully process fear and revulsion and terror. Mm -hmm. And there's a wonderful book called Burnout by Emily and Amelia Nagoski. Yes. And they talk a lot about processing your stress cycle. We have a, a, a stress cycle in our bodies. And a lot of the time, because of the way the world is right now, we don't fully get to complete the stress cycle. We just store all that stress in our bodies. And that comes up with a whole bunch of physical and emotional discomfort because our bodies are meant to fully process the things that give us stress. And if you, even if you deal with the thing that has caused the stress, the stressor, you know, you've had a conversation, you've worked it out, you've eliminated the problem. 
you're still going to have that agitated, unsettled feeling because you haven't completed your stress cycle. So I think horror functions as a place to fully process fear, terror, revulsion, and all of these things that we experience normally on every day. And when you combine them, like when you combine horror or mystery and romance, you're incorporating all of these very essential human elements. You're incorporating sex, arousal, intensity, emotions, fear, curiosity, terror, uh, delight, love, like all of those are basic human emotions. And you're giving people a space to sort of experience them in another narrative that is going to evoke that same sort of physical response, whether it's empathy or arousal or terror or the thrill of knowing everything's okay, which is, I like that catharsis. I like that a lot. That is magnificent. And you did an excellent episode with the authors of Burnout that I will yes. link to in my show notes. They have a whole really show and it's so good. So, so good. A so friend good. of mine in leadership, um, she's actually the director of a domestic violence shelter. She was telling me about how much that book has saved her. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, especially because and I've, I've read a couple of books about, like, for example, menopause. Mm-hmm. As people in female bodies, we are pathologized because we're not like men. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's really messy. And I mean, you, especially for me, I have grown up not knowing a lot about my own body that I've had to go out and learn because it wasn't part of the education I experienced. And the same is true for a lot of people and their emotions. So genre fiction is a way of negotiating your emotions. And when you look at spooky romance, um, the thing about gothics, and I know you know this, but the thing about gothics is that gothics back in the day, now, 10 years ago, 20 years from now, those are a way of negotiating and experiencing terror of power. Yes. Gothics are about power. They're patriarchal power. They're social and structural power. And, you know, you have the virginal heroine in a nightgown dealing with some kind of version of subjugation. Yes. And you're always going to struggle with power. Like that's, we're just going to have to deal with it because that's what humans do. It's so annoying, but we will constantly have to struggle with power structures. And that's what gothics are dealing with. I talked about this in, um, in a previous episode because I get dismayed when I see, and I mean, you know, you're uh, in the romance world. So you see people saying derogatory things about romance all the time, but people do this about Gothic too. Oh yeah. It's a day ending in why right. I'm familiar with this phenomenon. <laughs> Gothic is usually not always, but usually written by either women or the queer community. Yeah. And it's because all of those things tap into various elements of our daily lives, just exactly. as you're saying, just yeah. as you're saying. And yeah. so it, it bothers me when I people, when I hear people go, well, this isn't like women in nineties on moors. I'm like, but those women in nineties on moors have a function and there's oh, a yeah. why they're there and why it's a reliable trope, you know, oh, yeah. they're in like the mad woman in the attic and all of those things, you know, you can look down your nose at it, but you're being super like a super misogynistic ass or, you know, <laughs> If you're doing that without even knowing you're doing that, you think you're being progressive by saying, well, it's not this, but those things are there for a reason, just as you were saying. Absolutely. I'm Carl Sagan once said that because we are made of the same biological and chemical materials as stars, that we as conscious humans are a way for the cosmos to know itself. We are a way 
of the universe knowing itself and understanding ourselves because all of the things that are in stars are also in us. And when I first read that, I was like, what are you on? And can I, I have some? <laughs> but when I think about it in terms of the stories that I like, okay, these are narratives that help me know myself. Right. We are as humans, I think, constantly in, in an engaged process of trying to understand ourselves and how we fit into all the different worlds and communities that we are in. And Gothic is all about that. I mean, just think about it. You have the coded representation of things that are powerful and scary. Domesticity. The house is trying to kill yes. you. Yeah, the house is trying to kill you. Gender roles: Are you the nanny? Are you the second wife? Right. First wife dead. Was right. there childbirth? Because that also can kill you. Is it economic isolation? Is it physical isolation? You know, the setting is as much of a menace as the people, and sometimes more. And think about what that means as a person who is vulnerable. There are so many ways for a person to be vulnerable in the setting that they are in. You're speaking my language, Sarah. <laughs> You're having a hold the lighter moment. I love that. Oh my gosh. Yes. This is one of the things because it's all accurate and true. Yeah. And so if you think about, and I I said this when um, we spoke earlier, Yeah. what is happening in the world influences what is happening in books and in entertainment and in media. Like, you know, it's not just because a whole bunch of Gen X people are in executive positions that we're experiencing this incredible resurgence of reboots. Like what Care Bears again are back. Wow. Okay. There's more to that. There is more to that because if you think about it, the, the nostalgia has a function. Mm-hmm. And often the function of nostalgia is safety and comfort. Yes. Yes. And that indicates a lack of safety and comfort. So what is causing that lack of safety and comfort? Everything is connected. It's just, you can't isolate it. And I can recognize that there are genres that are not my thing. Like I no, cannot no. put that in my brain. No, thank you. But I want somebody to find it and love it because it's for them. <laughs> Sarah, my husband's going to love that you referenced Carl Sagan. That was just, he used to check Carl Sagan videos out of the library. of like a little seven, eight year old, like uh, oh, over and over and it. over. He's never stopped being a Sagan group. He's going to love that so much. So, <laughs> but also <laughs> I love that, you know, here we are, you're a romance podcast, I'm a gothic podcast. And I, you know, it's all the same, all the same needs, the same human collective unconscious. Yeah. Needs, and it's, know? and it's the essential human emotions. Like horror is about being afraid and scared because you saw what happened. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, terror or thriller is the anticipation and the uncertainty and the ambiguity of what's maybe scary maybe it's just a branch on the roof horror is no you saw the thing happen and that can take so many different contexts but you saw it and you know it happened and it's about reconciling the you know processing that fear and revulsion um and so when you blend horror and romance it's delicious. I think it makes so much sense. And oh, absolutely it's delicious. I mean, there's um there's so many wonderful things on the horizon for 20, the rest of 2022 and 2023. And I'm thrilled. Oh yeah. That are, that are merging these things. Oh yeah. So, like so some of the things that I've talked about um on my show, obviously I've done shows on gothic romance. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to have uh, we've done we've done one on monster romance because that's huge. And I think that's another way that 
they've merged. You know, I I used to tell my students, this is what I said in that episode. I used to tell my students that were like middle school, high school, you have to be quick and perfunctory, right? So when they're coming Mm -hmm. in to do genre study, you know, you break genre down. And, and one of the things that I would say very quickly about horror was that the ultimate goal is to beat the monster and in monster romance, (laughs) You're not trying to beat the monster. (laughs) The monster. Yes. Very wholesome. Yeah. And that's been all the rage. But if you think about it, what does that, you know, if you're going to stop the monster, for lack of a better word, does that mean that you are becoming the monster? You are unifying with the monster? You're, what what, what does it mean when you, you know, go to Bone Town with monsters? Because that also has meaning. That means you're not vanquishing it. You're not killing it. You are unifying with it, which the other thing that's happening simultaneously with a lot of horror romance is also romance, paranormal, urban fantasy. Those are experiencing a resurgence with women in power. Mm-hmm. There's a trend of women who are, there's a whole like Kindle unlimited universe of basically menopausal magic women. Yes. And I love that the seeing the diversity in age as well. I mean, it's oh, yeah. amazing. One of the, th- and it may also be a matter of taste because I know, for example, like the faded mates, ladies love their alphas, but I am such a cinnamon roll person. Like, oh, yeah. like give me a cinnamon roll or a beta or something. <laughs> I just love, I just love them. And, and so I love whenever the monster is like really just a cinnamon roll, you know, um, oh, yeah. Because it, it adds, it's as you were saying, like, who's the monster or who's like, there, there's just so many possibilities. And it's also dealing with the idea of expectation and reality. Yes. You look like a monster, ergo, people expect you to be this way. Yeah. Okay, well, you present as a woman. That means people expect you to be this way. And if you don't fit that expectation, you suffer for it. Ugh. Sarah, how are we not best friends? <laughs> I could do this the whole day. Oh, yeah. And if you think about it, there are so many major horror moments going backwards. Like, for example, when I started Smart Bitches in 20, 2005, paranormal romance was still massive. Vampires, yeah. werewolves. And then there was like Laurel K. Hamilton, who scared the absolute poodle out of me. And I don't think those necessarily qualify as romance. They qualify as, right. well monster fucking right i think that's what it was honestly yeah can i say fucking oh yeah okay (laughs) that's erotic horror we're fine yeah (laughs) it's it's vintage monster fucking and you have all of these elements of terror and fear and horror happening and i i always thought that the rise of paranormal romance was a response to terrorism in in 2001 partially because you can identify the monster and you can vanquish the monster by either killing it or boning it. But the scary thing is containable and negotiable. Mm. You can like manage your fear of it. And I always thought that that was a response to terrorism in the United States in 2001. Not entirely sure I'm 100% correct on that, but that was my theory back then. Mm -hmm. No, but I can see that because art, uh, going back to our, our, you know, discussion about art reflecting life. I mean, Mm -hmm. I have an art history degree that doesn't do really anything except inform that part of my brain that says yeah, sure. the reflection of our life. Yeah. Um, and, and I find that fascinating with literature in particular, because with the visual arts, it's almost obvious, yeah. but you know, sometimes with these, with these things in, in books, I don't care if it's like a Pulp Fiction paperback, it's still going to have elements of things that reflect the world around us, whether Absolutely. it's, whether it's internal or external. Yep. 
you know, nothing exists in a vacuum. Everything is a remix of something. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm hoping that you can give us some spooky romance recs. Yes, I have a few here. You ready? Hear them. Yeah. All right. So first, you had asked for a gothic romance, and one of my favorite gothics is Nine Carriages Waiting by Mary Stewart. Oh, oh, and I, Josh Mallerman was asking if she was awesome. So tell us about this one. She's so awesome, so awesome. (laughs) And I just remember, like, the involvement of gothic and mystery go together. Yes. a lot. And so you had romantic suspense with some, and there were a lot of romantic suspense novels that, I mean, there, there was a period of time when a whole bunch of famous historical romance authors all of a sudden started writing romantic suspense. And I was like, could you just go back to the, no, nope, we're doing <laughs> romantic suspense now. Like, okay. Julie Garwood did it. Catherine Coulter did it. Yes. Mary Stewart was consistently so very, very good absolute master of plot, absolute master of of character. And Nine Carriages Waiting is this really cool blend of gothic and fairy tale and mystery. And one of the things that Stuart, yes, all the things. And one of the things that Stuart does so well is write in these settings that make you feel like you're being transported to another place that has this sort of amazing piece of it. Like this one takes place in the mountains Mm -hmm. of France. So oh my very, gosh. Right. So it's very isolated, but then all of those feelings are very familiar. Uh, the character is put in charge of a young person. They don't know why they're in charge of this person. They are um, they are o- occupying what I like to think of as um, sort of between two cultures because okay. they're they're both American and French. Mm. And so it's superficially they're like this, like they are seen as oh American, mm-hmm. but people don't realize that she can fluently understand French and is very fluent in on in French culture, and so much of culture is code, like code uh, of yeah. behavior, code of language. Like for example, if I speak Spanish, because I learned Spanish in Spain when I was fifteen, I have a very specific thick accent to Zaragoza, and or I should say it Zaragoza. <laughs> I cannot roll that way. <laughs> and I can't do it any other way. Like oh that, goodness. that the language part of my brain, like that's what you're going to get. Um, and so whenever I speak Spanish to people here, they're like, where are you from? What is coming out of your face? And I'm like, okay, I realize it's really, because also, you know, the less I practice Spanish, the more I exist in the present tense, because yeah. I don't remember how to conjugate. I am a woman of the present as well in that language. In I exist very much in the present. It's very Zen. I am only I have now. No past, Sarah. <laughs> I can do the past perfect. Like <sighs> because it's easy. You just add IDO or ADO to the verb and then put ah uh, on. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I can do that. That's <laughs> I can do that one. I have existed in the past perfectly, or I exist solely in the present. Yep. And so for this character, she is sort of hiding the fact that she understands so much of what is going on around her, but has to pretend like she doesn't or deploys that secret knowledge at the opportune moments. And I love characters who occupy multiple cultural worlds and try to figure out how to negotiate between them. I love that part. It's a wonderful book and it gives you that that slow, creepy, what's happening? What's happening? Is this weird? Yeah, this is weird. This is real weird. Oh, wow. It's really weird. Yeah. <laughs> very, very good. Perfect. Oh my gosh. And As some- for ghost romance, yeah. there is a book coming out at the end of the end of June called Dead Romantics. 
And I really think you will like this because it is a, it is, there's a lot going on in this book, but if you are aware of the book publishing world, this has all of the inside baseball trivia that you will love. So the main character is a ghostwriter for a famous romance author Oh my ghostwriting for her for ages and has lost her ability to ghostwrite because she went through a terrible breakup and is really struggling with the idea that romance is even a thing. Then as the ghostwriter, which is a very big secret, she gets a new editor and her new editor is this young man. And she can't tell this person that she's the writer. She's the assistant. Uh-huh. And he's like, okay, so where's the book? And she's like, oh, she's working on it. I guess it's, she's like, I don't know how to handle this. I can't write it. She's clearly not, the, the actual author doesn't actually write the book. Right, and right. It, that part functions as a very behind the scenes publishing. Comes to turn out that the heroine's parents live in a small town and are the owner operators of a funeral home. And so oh. she's got a lot of death going on. And then her father dies suddenly and she has to go home and manage this grief. And all of a sudden she's being haunted by the ghost of this editor she just met. What? Because he has been in an accident. <gasps> and now she, he is, so it's a ghost romance. He is haunting her. Oh my gosh. But all he's still things. himself. And so it's like all the, it's all of the things. Now I do want to make, uh, make it clear. There's a lot of death and grief. Sure. Um, and some processing of trauma, which happens a lot in contemporary romance lately. But it, if you like or know anything about book publishing, mm-hmm. you're going to dig this. Because it's got a lot of behind the scenes like, oh, yeah, that really is how it is. Yep. Yep. True story. Yep. The thing with horror is that the, that's sort of par for the course is the, all the, the trauma elements, the things that would cut, you know, so it's good to have those triggers to know exactly what you're going into. Yes. But I think our audience is a little bit different with the expectation of it going in. Yes. And I'm very cautious about that because yes. so currently in romance, we're going through a little trend where all the books have illustrated covers and they're all yes. called rom-coms, even when they're not. Right. And I feel like I don't like it when I'm reading a book and all of a sudden one of my deepest, most tenderest bruises gets punched because I didn't recognize that that was coming. And so we are very effusive with warnings and like, this is what's inside and this is what happens. And we'll double spoiler something with our reviews. Like, okay, here you click to review the text and then like you have to highlight the text to read the rest. Like we are going to hide this as much as we can, but if you need to know, we'll tell you, we don't care. You're so good with your podcast on that too, because you're very good about at minute 13, this is yes. going to have a discussion. You can fast yes. forward this many minutes to get past it. And I'm like, you're amazing. Well, I just, <laughs> yeah. like I said, this is an intimate medium yes. and I take the responsibility for the people who are welcoming me into their eardrums very seriously. And yes. I want people to feel safe and at ease. Even though we're going to talk about romance traffics and some really awful stuff. The minute you start talking about sexuality and even sex itself, you're going to end up with some really awful parts of that, you know, within power structures. So I like to warn people so they feel safe. On that note, before we get to our next recommendation, I think that is why it is more critical that our worlds talk to each other. Yes. Because there's a lot happening in the horror world where I know that they're not like, not everybody is really talking to horror writers or romance writers or people in the romance world, the way that I do, but Mm -hmm. they're still using those like 
romance elements or erotica elements in horror and vice versa. I mean, romance is incorporating all of these horror elements, but if they're not talking, I don't think the language can be complete. No. Um, And I have this theory that everything is language. Yeah. Once you one one of the things that happens when you start talking about books that you love, and I know, you know, this as a librarian, Mm. once you know the words to describe the thing, you can find more of the thing. Yes. (laughs) So help us find more of the things. Yeah, exactly. Give Um, us another one. So monster romance. I did a two part crossover with bonkers romance about a lady of Rooksgrave Manor by Catherine Moon. And when I tell you this is the most wholesome monster fucking book (laughs) you will ever read, it is so enjoyably wholesome and ferociously filthy. Oh, tell us the details. Okay. So it is what is termed a reverse harem, not my favorite term, but that is the genre descriptor for one, one woman, lots of people. That is her group. So this young woman is a maid in a household and she likes sex and she's unapologetic about it. And she is shameless, not in the sense that she feels shame and does it anyway. She just doesn't feel shame about who she is. And she is in a time period, it's, it's historical. So it's, she's in a time period where she should feel shame about having sex and enjoying sex and wanting sex, but she doesn't, it's just how she is. So in the beginning of the book, there is a doctor who's come to take care of the lady of the house. Uh, and this is, you know, Victorian. So what he was doing was bringing a vibrator and helping her nervous humors by giving her a bunch of orgasms. And so the housemaid is listening because this is yeah. this is some hot business. But then she gets caught listening by the doctor and he's like, oh, you seem different, possibly horny. Would you come to my offices? So she leaves and she goes to his offices and it's pretty clear that she is, you know, DTF. And suddenly she, he, she's turned around on the bench. They're, you know, going to bone town. And he says, you may not look, but she can see the shadow of the fireplace casting his shadow and her shadow on the wall. And suddenly his shadow becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. And he turns into a monster and it turns out that he is sort of a, Jekyll and Hyde kind of person, and they both want to go to Bone Town with her. Then it turns out he knows of a place where she could work and live. And essentially, it is a monster brothel. It is a safe place for lots and lots of monsters to have sex with ladies who are open to the monster brothel life. And she's like, this sounds amazing. Sign me up right now. (laughs) So then there's a werewolf and there's a vampire. There's an invisible man. And wow. let me tell you, there has not been enough Invisible Man erotica in the world. I, there's so many possibilities. I'm already... Are, are Catherine Moon that. has explored many of these possibilities in an excellent fashion. And then there's a villain who's also a monster. There's a sphinx who comes and is very jealous of the idea of her being with anyone else but but him. And then he has kind of get over himself. And it is very wholesome because essentially what is happening is that she has always accepted herself as she is. Mm-hmm. But these are people who have never been accepted because they are monsters. And she's like, no, you are all mine. You are all my monsters. And I want to be with you. And they have to overcome this idea that this person wants to be with them and, and accepts them as they oh are. Oh, my gosh. Sarah. Um, it's so wholesome and also completely filthy. It's, <laughs> it's, it is the wholesome monster fucking book of your dreams. 
See, this is what happens when we talk to each other. Yes. Right? yes. <laughs> this is something I think my listeners will totally be into. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, they will. And you know, I think there is a sequel and I have to look up real quick when it comes out because one of the things that happens when you learn about books in advance and you have no time or concept of time, that would be me, you don't know when things happen. So book 1.5 is The Basilisk of Star Manor. That is a novella and that is out. And then book two is The Company of Fiends. And oh, that gosh. is that out is June 23rd. Company of Fiends is the theater com- theater that they go to in book one. And an actress from the theater, Company of Fiends, gets her story in the second book. This sounds amazing. This it's amazing. just so good. And th- one of the things I love about it is when you are in a book and you know that you're in the hands of a writer who has thought about what they're doing and the implications of what they're writing, like this world is exquisitely thoughtful. Like it knows it where it exists and it is both fantasy and erotic and horror and so good. Sarah, you always have all the answers. So we <laughs> really appreciate the marvelous, marvelous recommendation. I introduce you to my teenagers who will tell you that it's not true. <laughs> Um, well, I'm going to disagree. You've, you've got a great show. I've enjoyed it for so long. Thank you. Um, you know, and I really, I think about it sometimes when I move forward on my own show, you've been an inspiration. So thank you so much for all that you've done as far as breaking through barriers. You've done a lot, a lot for us. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Well, so I can wax poetic on various, uh, you know, episodes that I've loved, but why don't you tell our listeners about some future episodes? Oh, for sure. Um, let's see. So in June, I have an episode with an author named Alyssa Sussman, who wrote a book called Funny You Should Ask. And we take a deep dive into celebrity gossip narratives and celebrity profiles. Yeah, I'm all about narratives. And this is really interesting. And I realized this afterward, I was reading Reddit. When you study gossip, when you look at celebrity gossip or you follow celebrity gossip, you actually are engaging a lot of critical thinking because you're watching propaganda get made. Yes. Yes. And the PR narrative of celebrity and the actual narrative of celebrity and the role of the celebrity profile, which are like those deep dive celebrity profiles. There was one about Chris Evans, one about Tom Hiddleston. There's one about Miles Teller that we talk about. That sort of bridging the gap between celebrity narrative and actual narrative, like who they really are deployed by a journalist who is half in the world and half not. And the book itself, funny you should ask, is about a celebrity journalist who does a profile. And it's a dual timeline story because they met to do the profile and something happened that weekend. And now it's many years later and they have to work together again. But no one has ever talked about what happened in that profile, even though it's pretty clear something happened in that profile. They got they, maybe they went to Bone Town. Maybe. <laughs> so this, so maybe a fan of Taylor Jenkins Reid might enjoy this. Yes, very okay. much so. Yeah. Very much so. I also have an interview with Dr. Perpetua Neo, who wrote a book called This Is What Matters, which is about identifying what you want in your life after a traumatic event. And one of the wow. things about the pandemic that I think people underestimate is that we have all been through a traumatic event. Yeah. And it affected all of us differently, but it was the same event. And this is a journal prompt book. It's a workbook that basically asks you to accept what has happened, accept where you are now, and then identify what you want. And like I was saying, I have this very strong dose of, well, who's going to stop me? Yeah. This is to help you engage your who's going to stop me. And I've been working through the prompts. And it's one of those books that I've sent to people because I know it'll work. Oh, yeah. 
The interview is really, really interesting. Dr. Neo is a psychotherapist and a psychologist who works with people individually to help them move past whatever is holding them back. And it's also specifically good for people who on the surface appear to have all their poop in a group, but inside are like, I'm doing it wrong. I've got imposter syndrome. This isn't supposed to be me. It helps you break down and be like, no, go for it. It's all you. Imposter syndrome is something writers really contend with. Yes, so much. And then in the future, I have interviews with Sonali Dev, whose book was just picked up by Mindy's Book Studio, which is a division of Amazon Publishing, which does print and then film TV development of specific titles. And her next book is part of the inaugural Mindy's Book Studio collection. Wow. Um, Julie Garwood, who <gasps> is a, I know, my inner 13-year-old is not cool. Yeah. In, uh, in July, I will have an interview with Julie Garwood. Oh my gosh. I know, I'm so excited. And then in the fall, I already recorded an interview, um, but I'm scheduling it for September. Yeah. did an interview with Deanna Rayborn, who wrote <gasps> a book called Killers of a Certain Age. I just saw the her stuff about that. Yes. yes. It is amazing because I also think this is a, a trend that is coming up. Older ladies killing folks. Yeah. A little Got bit. A There's number, been like some Netflix shows. And, yeah, older, yeah. older ladies just killing terrible folks. That's it. We're done. So yeah. Killers of a Certain Age is about a group of 60 plus year old assassins who work for an extra governmental assassination agency originally founded in World War II to kill Nazis who got away and then expanded because there's always shitty human yeah. traffickers, drug smugglers, gun smugglers, dastardly humans. Yeah. So they're assassins. And this is a dual timeline story. But what happens in the beginning is that they are sent on an all expenses paid retirement cruise because they are retiring from this agency. And then they find out, wait a minute, somebody on this boat is from the agency and is trying to kill them. So they have to get away, not die, figure out who ordered their death, why, and then both be on the defensive and the offensive. There's a lot of killing. There's a, a lot of crappy people yeah. getting getting dead, but they have to work together in a way that they usually don't. And they don't have any technology. They have to rely on very old school ways of killing dastardly people. So that's another one that I'm very excited about. And the book is so good. I inhaled it in one day. And in the interview, I had to be like, listen, I know it took you like a year and a half to write this book. And I read it in like six hours. It was so good. <laughs> But I can consume Deanna Rayborn that way. I love her Victorian oh, yeah. mystery series yes. with a hot Absolutely. guy named Stoker. Yes, yeah. very hot, very hot Stoker. I would love to see that as like a, a show. Somebody, well, somebody needs to make so that into a good. show. Yes. I mean, we, there, Enola Holmes was already a success. There's clearly an appetite for historical mysteries with women solving the problems. You've got Charlotte Holmes from Sherry Thomas. You got Deanna uh, Rayborn series. And what's that PBS one that is like the Duke something? Scarlet and the Duke, I think is what it is. Oh, um, yeah. Miss Scarlet and the Duke. There's another one. I mean, we, we can we can move on from Sherlock Holmes and just have ladies doing rad shit. And yeah, that's okay. I, I'm, I'm down for that. <laughs> I love this. Killing people, solving crime. Let's get it done. Well, Sarah, where can people find you when they have questions about things that are, you know? Uh, all right, well. <laughs> My main website is smartbitchestrashybooks.com. You can find Smart Podcast Trashy Books wherever you get your tasty podcasts. I'm on Twitter at Smart Bitches, Instagram at Smart Bitches. Facebook, I'm not there often. 
because I hate yeah. Facebook. Me too. I, I, I almost never post. I'm there, but I almost never post. I, I dislike it deeply, but Smart Bitches Trashy Books is always the place to find me. We, we post daily books on sale. We post roundups of books that we're talking about. We post reviews. We have a wonderful feature called Help a Bitch Out where you can remember the plot details, but you can't remember the book. And yeah. most of the time, someone in the comments knows what book it is. It's pretty amazing. It is amazing. That's probably my favorite part. <laughs> It's one of my favorite parts too. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining me today. It was such an honor to have you. I love your show so much. And thank you for having me. I'm really honored that you were excited to have me as a guest. So thank you. (laughs) Thanks for joining us today on She Wore Black. You can follow the show on Instagram and Twitter if you follow the links on our website at SheWoreBlackPodcast.com. We have some great episodes coming your way, so be sure to subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or Google Podcasts. You can also support the podcast by shopping at our online bookstore at bookshop.org shop slash SheWoreBlack. Every purchase you make through our storefront, be it the books on my lists or any books you find in a search from our front page, will support the cost that goes into show production as well as supporting independent bookstores nationwide. Thanks again for joining us today and happy reading. Mm-hmm.